In my second year of pro baseball, I had terrible, horrible season, worst season I ever had. Uh, my swing was off. I was kind of opening up too soon, and I had no power. Hit all these weak ground balls in the second baseman. I wasn't striking out a lot. Balls just wasn't going anywhere very fast. And I needed a hitting coach to kind of help me figure out what I was doing that was wrong so I could fix it. Now, I played back in the day where there was just one manager or coach for the whole team. And this guy that I had that second year was basically kind of an absentee leader. Uh, he just filled out the lineup card every day. He drank very, very heavily on our road trips. Uh, he was just not a happy man. I can only remember one single conversation with this guy uh, for the whole season. So when I was at my lowest, when I was not at my best, I got like no encouragement, no instruction, just criticism from this leader. Now, I'm not blaming him for this. Uh, my skills didn't take me all the way to the show, to the major leagues. But that year, I think I went from being a prospect to an also-rand, at least in my own mind. I was an afterthought. I played three more years after that. But uh, I look back at that season as basically a season where I kind of lost some hope to make it to the major leagues. Listen, great leaders help our hopes. Bad leaders hinder our hopes. So I want you to do some brainstorming with me today. Um, I think most of us have been in situations with bad leaders, right? Maybe you're being led by a bad leader right now. Maybe you're the bad leader. <laughs> so don't mention any names today. Uh, but I want us to make a, a, a list of marks of a bad leader, mistakes leaders make, characteristics of bad leaders. So you guys shout it out. I'll repeat it, and they'll type it on the screen for us. What are some mistakes that leaders make? Micromanaging. micromanaging. I needed. I could have used a little of that back in the day, but micromanaging. Yeah. What else? Not being proactive. Not being proactive. Okay. And assuming things. Okay. Not listening. Now wait a minute. You got to give them a chance to type up there. Not listening, verbal abuse, all right, assuming verbal abuse. Look how great spelling they're doing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, what, what did you say? Inability to make decisions. Inability to make decisions, bad example. You guys have had lots of bad leaders. <laughs> Can't keep up with you guys. What did you say back there? Blaming. Blaming. Gossiping. And, and what? What I hear over here? Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> All right, now I think we're bringing a little something into here that's... <laughs> All right, we're going to stop right there, okay, before we get into trouble. That's pretty funny. Um, okay, so I want you to look at this list, and we could keep going on for a long time, right? Micromanaging, inactive not listening, assuming, verbal abuse, inability to make decisions, blameful, and gossiping. All right, so if you had to pick out one thing on that list, as you think about yourself as a leader, what would you pick? In other words, all of us have leadership responsibilities. I mean, you might be leading a team at work. You might be the big boss at work. Uh, you might be leading in your home as a husband or as a wife or as a mother, dad, you might just be a big sister or a big brother to somebody. 
You may be leading um, a ministry or a ministry team. Uh, You might be leading a group of friends. You might be a coach or a captain of a team. So as you think about yourself as a leader, which one of those on that list could be a downfall for you? Don't say it out loud. Just think it. You might want to jot it down. But here's what I'd like for you to do. You don't have to bow your eyes or close. You don't have to bow your heads or close your eyes. Uh, But you can pray a prayer. Just say, dear Lord Jesus, would you help me with that? Help me with that as a leader. Help me do better. Because we're going to be talking about leadership today. And as we said before, uh, bad leaders hinder hope. Great leaders help hope. Because if you're doing anything on that list, you're actually hurting the hopes of the people that you're leading. See, when you live and work in that kind of an environment there that we just described, it drains of hope. People say things are going from bad to worse around here. People say, I don't know what I need to do to make things better. People say, I can't wait to get out of here. So I think all of us instinctively have a need for and a hope for great leadership. And today what we're going to do is we're going to see a phrase in the Bible that describes Jesus as a leader. And here's what it says about him. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Now back in ancient days, they would often put a robe on the shoulders of a great leader to symbolize his leadership. And that's the idea here. Jesus is a leader. The government will rest on his shoulders. And we can learn from Jesus how we can be better leaders and add to the hope of people around us. The government's on his shoulders. He is a light-filled, wisdom-giving, victory-winning, everlasting, peace-loving leader. And we can be like that too. See, when you pray, thy kingdom come, you're praying for the day when the government will be on his shoulders fully and finally. Because you're praying for the second coming of Christ. And that's the culmination of all the hopes of all people. I read recently when newspapers are announcing really big news, like the winning of a war, they use extra big giant type for the headlines. It's the biggest print of all. You know what they call it? Second coming type. The second coming of Christ is really big news. And it's the best news when great leaders take charge. Now, we're looking forward to the day when the government will be on his shoulders. But in the meantime, his leadership can happen in our hearts when we make him Lord, the boss, the ruler, the master of our lives. And when we do that, that's the time when we are living absolutely with the most hope in our lives. Bad leaders hinder our hopes. That's not Jesus. Great leaders help our hopes. That is Jesus. And we can be like Him. We can lead like Him and bring hope to people around us. So if you think about it, we all have that leadership responsibility. So here's the question. Are you leading people well so that the people around you actually have their hopes increased? We're going to talk today about the season to be hopeful. Tis the season to be hopeful. So open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Now, I want to give you a test. Josh, Pastor Josh, who did the announcements today, taught last weekend. 
And he gave us two prayers to pray at the end of his message. So I want you to be thinking, what were those prayers? He taught us how to handle both short-term anger and long-range anxiety. And if you were here, you probably remember the heartbeat. Now, he had it coming over the sound system, right? But... And he taught us that anxiety and anger will actually increase physiologically your heartbeat, right? <laughs> and he remind us, reminded us that this Christmas season, your patience will be tested, right? Absolutely will be. So you'll feel the anxiety go up, you'll feel the anger go up. So if you start to feel anxiety about your circumstances, you're supposed to pray something. Do you remember what he taught us to pray? Father, let me trust you as your beloved child. Okay, kind of okay. Not that great. All right, <laughs> here's the second one. When you uh, feel anger increasing toward another person, you're supposed to pray, Father, help me see the value of fill in the blank, whoever that person is that's making you angry, right? You guys did a little better on that, and that was good. This past week on Thursday, I was on 480, and I was in a hurry. And I got behind some dude that was going like 45 or 50 across that bridge. And I couldn't pass because of all the traffic that was coming up behind me on the left. So I just puttered across the bridge behind that guy. And then all of a sudden, I did remember what Josh taught us to pray. Father, help me to see the value of, I didn't know the guy's name, so the dude going 45, right? <laughs> and then when finally the traffic cleared and I was able to pass him, um, I got to the, next to him and, and, I, and I said to Evan, my son who was in the car with me, I said, I'm glad I prayed that prayer because someday I'm going to be that guy. Because it was some guy that was old, 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 right? <laughs> And so I'm glad I prayed because that's going to be me someday. Last week, we talked about tis the season to be patient. Today, we're going to talk about tis the season to be hopeful. All right, so we're in Isaiah chapter 9. The question first is, who's Isaiah? Well, Isaiah is a spiritual leader. He's a prophet for God's people in ancient Israel. And he led at a time when the enemies of Israel, uh, the people of Assyria, uh, were on the rise. And we're going to see Isaiah's kind of standing on tiptoe as a prophet, looking into the future, looking 700 years into the future, and he's predicting that a Messiah would come who would be this amazing leader, a different kind of leader. Now, in Isaiah's day, God's people were being oppressed and taxed by this foreign power, Assyria. And the Assyrians, as they came in to conquer, they had these super soldiers. They were kind of like the... Uh, the, the Star Wars stormtroopers of the day, only worse than those guys. Part of what made them stand out was their brutality. Because if they conquered a city, they would cut the heads off the leaders that they conquered, and then they would pile these heads in pyramids in front of the city gates, just to make a statement. That, they were brutal people. Uh, they had this ruthless leader that actually... Um, made the people of Israel pay tribute, 50 shekels per person. And that was the price of a slave. So the idea is they're, they're treating the people of Israel like they're slaves. It was a dark, dark time in the history of Israel. Now, 
You may not be happy today with the leaders in your life, the leaders in D.C. or the leaders in Columbus or the leaders in City Hall. You might not be happy with the leadership that you're getting at work or someplace else in your life, and you feel like you're in the dark too. But there is good news for you, and here it is. Isaiah 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. So he's saying here, this darkness that you're experiencing by the Assyrians is going to go away. The day is coming when there will be no more injustice for my people. When oppression goes away, light has come. And the people can say, I can see the doom, the gloom. It's gone now. Verse 3. Isaiah is now talking to God, the Father. He says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So the darkness is gone. The oppression is gone. And what do the people do? They throw a party. The day is going to come when God will turn the light on the injustice and the oppression. And the people that have been sad because of that are going to be laughing. And that's good news for some of you in this room. Because you right now, you're in a time of darkness. You're in a time of sadness because of oppression and injustice. And, and, and the Bible says He won't leave you there. Verse 4, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, God, have broken as on the day of Midian. Now, a yoke, of course, is a wooden tool that's placed on the back of an ox so an ox could pull a plow. And here it refers to the, the heavy burdens on God's people and God's enemies have placed on God's people and so it says here that this burden will be broken. And then it talks about the rod and the staff. These are what shepherds use to poke and prod sheep to keep the sheep under control. And here it refers to the brutal ways that the Assyrians were keeping God's people under control. And Isaiah says here as he looks into the future, the yoke, the staff, the rod, all going to be broken. And he says God's going to do this suddenly, like on the day of Midian. What's that? Well, you can read about it in Judges 6 and 7. And, and one of the leaders of God's people, his name was Gideon, he led an army of just 300 people to defeat thousands and thousands of invaders by the supernatural power of God, and it happened in a moment. And here's the idea. God has a history of breaking down oppressors, breaking down bad leaders. He's still doing that today, and one day he will do it fully and finally forever. Verse 5, For the every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult... And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Okay, so what's this about boots and garments and fire? Well, part of what made the Assyrian soldiers stand out was not just their brutality, but their boots. Uh, they equipped their soldiers not with sandals like other armies, but with these sturdy boots. They were tough, leather, knee-high boots. And if you look at ancient carvings of Assyrian soldiers, you can even see those boots. They helped on long marches. They protected the shins when the soldiers were on horseback. And if you heard the Assyrian army marching with their boots, it made a noise that just terrified you if you were their enemy. It's kind of like the tanks coming through woods. You could just hear it coming. It's like, oh no, what's going to happen next? Well, the passage here is saying those boots are going to be burned. No more oppression. 
And then it says something about the uh, garments rolled in blood. What's that? Well, when the Assyrians would defeat an enemy, they were so brutal, their garments as soldiers would be drenched in blood. And God says, those army of the, those uh, clothes drenched in blood of the Assyrians going to be burned someday. In other words, this is great news to these Jewish people so brutally oppressed by Assyrian armies. So here's the question. How's God going to do this? How's God going to stop the tramping of the boots? How's he going to burn the enemy's clothes? How's he going to break the yoke? How's he going to break the rod and the staff of oppression? Is he going to send a proven political unifier? Is he going to send a proven powerful warrior? Is he going to send a proven persuasive teacher? No. Look at what's going to happen in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. God's going to do this through a child. Now, who's this child? Well, you get a picture of who the child is if you read two chapters earlier. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. It says, a virgin will conceive and she will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. It's an obvious reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. So to us, the child is born is really a statement about the humanity of Jesus. Think about it. Jesus, when he was born, was God in the flesh. This is God with a placenta. This is God with an umbilical cord. I mean, who knows? Was he 18 inches long, 20 inches long? You know, did he weigh six pounds? Did he weigh seven pounds? I mean, think about it. He began life like any other human, as a baby, as an infant. He cried, he slept, he ate, he burped, he did things we shouldn't say. Uh, he was a human just like us. And that qualified him to save us, qualified him to lead us. No matter what you're going through today, Jesus understands. He understands your hurts. Because he was undeniable humanity, just like you. But not only was he undeniable humanity, he was undiminished deity. And you can see this in the second part of verse 6. To us, a son is given. So see two words there, son and given. Son, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son. And as God the Son, he was not just born, but he was given. And think about it, this implies he existed before he was born. The Father gave him to us. Jesus didn't like become God. He always was God. He was and is God man. Both. He left heaven to come to earth as God, as the ultimate cross-cultural missionary. I mean, think about it. If he had not been man, then he could not have died on a cross to forgive us for our sins. Because God can't die. Only man can die. And if he had not been God, then his death would not have mattered. But because he is God, his death has infinite value for all who believe. We need Jesus to be both God and man. Not one or the other, but both. So God the Father gave God the Son so we could have eternal life. And then it talks about his leadership in verse 6. And the government shall be on his shoulder. And his name shall be called 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is a prophecy given 700 years before Christ was born. Why did Jesus come? What's the point of Christmas? Well, you got to read verse 7 to get that. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. His rule, his reign will go on and on and on forever and ever. It'll get better and better forever and ever. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Is this really going to happen? Yes, because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love that part. We are looking here at the future rule and reign of Jesus Christ. I love this about Jesus. Because I think inside all of our hearts is a cry for justice. Not only when we've been wrong, but when others are wrong. Because we know deep down inside, bullies shouldn't win. And that's why we ought to be concerned about our leadership. That's why we ought to be concerned about the leadership of the nations. Because God cares about the weak and the poor. And because he cares about the weak and the poor, he sets up leaders and laws that keep, cheap, that keep in check people who are greedy and abusive. He can't just sit by while people are being exploited. So I want you to see some things about great leadership in the life of Jesus here. First of all, great leaders bring light, not darkness. They bring light, not darkness. And this comes from verse 2, which says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Now, what kind of light is this? Well, Jesus once said in the book of John, I am the light of the world. And if you read that story, it's in the context, or if you read that statement, it's in the context of a story. One day, these uh, self-righteous religious leaders rushed a woman into the presence of Jesus they said, she's been caught in the act of adultery. And the Old Testament law says, we should stone her. What do you say, Jesus? Now, this is a trick. They're trying to catch Jesus. Because they know if Jesus says, well, go ahead and stone her to death, she deserves the death penalty for her adultery, then he would lose popularity with the people. But if he says, that's ah, no big deal, then he's not a good prophet because he's not keeping the law. So what is Jesus going to do? He stoops over, he writes on the ground, then he stands up and he says, let him who is without sin cast the first stone. When you read the story and you think about what's going on, all of a sudden you go, these religious leaders drop their stones in the dirt. You can hear the thuds. And then they leave. And he looks at the woman and he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they've gone. And he goes, well, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And in the context of that story, he says, I am the light of the world. So what kind of light is this? It's a light that reveals the sin without condemning the sinner. And it's the kind of light that restores the sinner without condoning the sin. And that's exactly what all of us need. Because if you're in the dark, you're in a place where it's cold. You're in a place where it's lifeless. You're in a place where it's just not healthy. 
See, light brings life. Light brings warmth. And that's what we need. So if you're trying to hide some sin in your life, then you're not experiencing life and you're not experiencing warmth. You're not experiencing health. So what do you need? I need light. I need somebody who will reveal without condemning and who will restore without condoning. And that's exactly who Jesus is. That's the kind of leadership you need. That's the kind of leadership that I need. Great leaders bring light, not darkness. Is that the way I'm leading? Great leaders bring insight, not ignorance. Notice what it says in verse 6 about Jesus. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, anybody can counsel, but it's not always wonderful, right? The word wonderful here means marvelous. It means extraordinary. It's used in Psalm 77. You're the God who works wonders. The word counselor here, it means advisor. Psalm 32, God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go, and I will counsel you, counsel you with my eye upon you. So the idea is like we need to learn to turn to Jesus to make sense out of life's confusion. I think about what, what would it be like if Jesus like opened up a private practice as a counselor? <laughs> what would that be like? Hey, I'm having marriage problems. I know. <laughs> I know what you said to your wife yesterday. I know that attitude that you had toward her last week. I mean, that'd be scary <laughs> to be in the office of Jesus. There's a sense in which he has opened up a private practice, and it's in his word through His Spirit. We can have access to Him as much as we want. And you know what He does? He makes house visits. <laughs> you say, well, how, what do you mean? Well, in Revelation chapter 3, He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice, I will open the door and I will come into Him. You have as much access to Jesus as the wonderful counselor as you want to have. He's a counselor that knows everything. He knows all about you. He knows the needs of your heart. He knows how to answer those needs. He knows you best, and he loves you most. And some of us in the room, we've taken advice. We've taken a counsel from all kinds of people. We've given our own advice to ourselves. And things just not working out so well. And you know what he's doing today? He's saying, hey, it's time. It's time. It's time for you to come to me. Let me be your leader. Because I will give you insight, not ignorance. Great leaders bring light, not darkness. Insight, not ignorance. And strength, not weakness. See, you can go to a counselor and he can tell you what's right. But he can't give you the power to actually live right. But the Lord Jesus has the ability not only to tell you what to do, but give you the power to do it. If you stay connected to Him, if you are abiding in His vine. Notice what the text says. And His name shall be called Mighty God. The word mighty means valiant. It means champion. It means strong. And the word God here is El in the Hebrew. E-L. And it means God with an emphasis on His might and His strength. Psalm 24 asks a question. Who is the King of glory? And the answer is 
the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And some of us in the room are facing impossible situations right now. There's a wall that you don't know how you're going to get over it, get around it, get under it. It's just impossible. Maybe it's health issue. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a relational issue. And nothing is working. And Jesus is saying, let me be your leader. Don't try to do it on your own. Let me do the heavy lifting. Great leaders bring light, not darkness. Insight, not ignorance. Strength, not weakness. And constancy, not unpredictability. Constancy, not unpredictability. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Everlasting Father. This would be best translated the Father of Eternity. And the idea here is Jesus is the originator, he's the source, he's the creator, the giver of eternal life. So this son, Jesus, is the person in the Trinity who created time out of eternity and he fashioned the universe from nothing. And here's what he says. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father. If you've seen me, he said to his followers, you've seen the Father. In other words, you want to know what the Father is like? Look at me. And so in that sense, he's the everlasting Father. He leads like a loving Father. He doesn't lead like me as a Father. He's constant. He's loyal. He's faithful. He's steadfast. He's predictable in a good way. You never have to wonder with him, Wonder what daddy's going to be like when he comes home today. And maybe you're surrounded by unpredictable people. Maybe you're surrounded by people you just don't know what it's going to be like when you show up at the office or at home. You're being jerked around. One day you're loved, one day you're liked, one day you're respected, and the next day, it's not like that. And Jesus is saying here today, all right, look, you can't change all of that around you but you know what? You don't need to get your identity from all of that. You need to get your identity from me. Let me be your leader because I will bring constancy, not unpredictability to your life. Great leaders, light, not darkness, insight, not ignorance, strength, not weakness, constancy, not unpredictability, and peace, not strife. And his name will be called Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. When Jesus was born, the angels sang, Peace on earth. Now, if you're like me, you're going, Peace? Where on earth is peace? I mean, we've had 2,000 years of war since Jesus was born. Well, this is why we want the government to be on his shoulders, is to deal with the violence on this earth. And one day, it will happen. We look forward to his peace. We look forward to the second coming. It's why we want the government to be on his shoulders. But for now, we get a taste of peace. Uh, we, we, we get peace from God through Jesus if we make him our leader and Lord. And we get peace with God from Jesus if we make him our leader and Lord. In fact, Jesus said in John 14, 
Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So let your heart not be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Peace. Peace. Maybe there's nothing but chaos and strife and conflict going on in your life right now. And he is saying, let me be your leader. You may have to deal with some of that external strife and chaos in your life, but let me be your leader because between you and me, inside your heart, you can have peace, not strife. So look at that list. Great leaders bring light, not darkness. Insight, not ignorance. Strength, not weakness. Constancy, not unpredictability. And peace, not strife. Hmm. What a leader. See, Jesus, unlike my coach or my manager, is not an absentee, uninterested, unhappy leader who gets drunk on the job and leaves our potential untapped. That's not him. And his reign is not going to be a four-year term or an eight-year term. His reign keeps on going and expanding. I mean, think about it. One day we'll be in heaven and it says the increase of his government will know no end. How can anything perfect get better? I don't know. That's a mystery. But his leadership will grow more beautiful to us, more precious to us, and it'll get deeper and fuller as time goes on. And how's it going to happen? Remember how this passage ends? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I mean, think about it. If, if God just nods his head, things are going to happen. I mean, if God just goes... It's going to happen, right? But here we're talking about the zeal of the Lord of hosts. I mean, this says God's just zealous about this. I mean, like it's, he's going after this. It's happening. He's determined. This is going to happen. The nations will come to him. He is urgent about it. He's intent on this. His intent for this earth is for it to fully and finally be a light, Filled, wisdom-giving, victory-winning, everlasting, peace-loving world under the leadership of Jesus Christ. And we're headed there. That's where we're going. And, 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 and if he is zealous about this, if he's zealous about this, how could we be lukewarm and apathetic about it? He is going to glorify himself by transforming the world. We're going to Indonesia to reach an unreached people group. Guess what? They're going to be reached at some point. This is our hope. From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the Lord's name will be praised. Psalm 113 verse 3. His kingdom is coming. Through a baby. And that baby is the first installment of God's zeal. Now, now look again at that list. Which one of those do you need from God the most today? Given the circumstances, the events in your life, which one do you need the most? Again, you don't have to bow your heads or close your eyes, but you can pray right now. You can say, Dear Jesus, be my leader. Give me insight, not ignorance. Or be my leader. Give me constancy, not unpredictability. 
I don't know which one you need the most, but right now, right now, just pray and ask Him to give it to you. The passage says, unto us a child is born. Now, question, who's the us? Is that just like everybody? I don't think so. I think that's everybody who believes. Everybody who actually makes him leader and lord of their lives. I mean, you're not just born into this world with Jesus as leader. You're kind of born into this world hell-bent on rebellion against God. But God's Spirit begins to move and soften our hearts, takes a heart of stone, turns it into a heart of flesh, and gives us the capacity to say, Jesus, it's not working, so make me, I want to make you my leader. Make me your servant. Have you ever done that? Prayer on the screen gives you a way to articulate that. Dear Heavenly Father, I need the leadership of Christ in my life. I've tried to lead my own life. It's not working. I need hope from the Christ of Christmas. I need His light, His wisdom, strength, constancy, and peace. I repent of my sin. I turn instead to Jesus, the one who came and died and rose to forgive me. I'm broken. Restore me. Help me live in you. I don't know if that prayer expresses the desire of your heart. Last Sunday night, I got to pray with the two men who gave their heart to Christ by praying prayers similar to that. And maybe you're here today and that's you. That, this is your prayer. This is your day to finally say yes to Jesus Christ. Because if you don't, you have a hopeless end. If you do, you have an endless hope. So would you pray the prayer? Again, you don't have to bow your head, close your eyes. Just pray. Just, just say it to Him. Be my leader, Lord Jesus. I give up. I give in to you. And if you do pray that prayer, there's a card in your program. You can tear it off. Check the box. Not so we can uh, bug you or harass you, but just so we can help you understand more about your relationship to Christ. We don't put our ultimate hopes in any earthly leader, no matter how great he or she might be. We're going to hope in Him and in Him alone. You know, I said earlier, between now and Christmas, you're going to be tempted to be impatient, right? Anger and anxiety are going to come in. And Josh gave you two prayers to pray last weekend. Here are two more prayers. Ready? Because see, I know that between now and Christmas, you're going to experience darkness and ignorance and weakness and unpredictability and strife. You may even produce that for other people. So here's the first prayer. Jesus, be my leader again today. If you're experiencing any kind of strife or unpredictability or darkness, Jesus, be my leader again today. You lead and I'll follow because he won't lead you that way. And then maybe you find yourself in a leadership role and things aren't really going so well and you're producing the darkness and the weakness and the strife then just stop and say, Jesus, help me lead like you. Very simple prayers. But it can make all the difference between now and Christmas. Because this is the season for hope. Great leaders help hope. Bad leaders hinder hope.
Let's grow to be great leaders. And as much as we can in this life, on this planet, let's lead like Jesus, okay? Father, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, some of us have been robbing others of their hope because we've been the kinds of leaders that we started out talking about today. Lord, I pray you forgive us for that. And I pray that we would put our eyes on you because you'll never let us down, ever. And Father, that we would become more and more like Jesus Christ himself. Hope givers to other people. So let us learn to lead like Jesus. Let us learn to follow Jesus. Because this is the season to be hopeful. And we pray it in Jesus' name.